So the point of Not Just For Kids, and really what I feel like the point is of Josiah's life, is don't just fret about the darkness, turn on a light. Now, I want you to think about all the hard things and bad things you hear about, the things that start moving you toward doing this, and oh, did you hear about that, and oh, no, oh I don't know what this world is coming, oh, you know, I... Stop talking about the darkness. Turn on a light. Be light. You can't, you can't change everything, but you can shine. In fact, I was, you know, I almost forgot. I was going to have the kids sing like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it. How many, do they still teach that? Do they still sing that? Do they still do that? Yeah, have you heard it before? Okay, yeah. So, you know, let your light shine. Shine where you are. And you know, we worry so much about stuff we can't change and, and we can't fix, and there's so much that we can. Josiah lived in a time when the nation was under great judgment. Josiah's dad, Ammon, was a wicked king who ruled Judah only two years. And before Ammon was the 55-year-long reign of a king called Manasseh, he was Hezekiah's son. He had come to the throne when he was 12. He was possibly the most evil ruler Judah had ever had. Think about it. We have a president get elected every four years. Think about a president that was in power for 55, and he was bad, like really bad. But toward the end of his reign, God humbled Manasseh. And unlike many who had sold themselves to doing evil, Manasseh actually repented. And it appears that it was for real because he spent the last years of his reign undoing much of the wicked things that he had promoted and turning his efforts toward doing right. We don't know exactly how long that was, but we know that that's how he ended the reign. Manasseh really is like a, a billboard, is like an advertisement for God's mercy to the most evil of men and how God can turn their life around. Well, Manasseh died when Josiah, his grandson, was only six years old. And I got thinking about that. It's possible that Josiah's earliest memories, like back to two and a half, three years old, um, were of Manasseh's determined efforts to reverse all the evil that he had done. Well, whatever God used to turn Josiah's young heart, this young man shines like a candle in the night for a nation that was drowning in idolatry and rushing toward judgment. And we're going to look at his life tonight just in terms of his ages. And I'm guessing at the ages, the, the, um, the text tells us what year it was of his reign, and I'm just adding uh, that number to what he was when he started. So it may be off by a year. But he came to the throne when he was eight years old. So obviously he had some help ruling the kingdom. At age 16, eight years later, his eighth year, he began to seek Yahweh. He began to seek the Lord. 16 years old. At age 20, he started purging idolatry from the land, breaking down the altars, tearing down the pillars, uh, getting rid of all the idolatry um, and, and places of worship of idols that was in the land. At age 26... He really got busy. He began repairing the temple of Yahweh. In that process, they found a book of the law. He also renewed the covenant 
with Yahweh. He brought all the people together, and they renewed this covenant with God together, and he celebrated the Passover in a way that it hadn't been celebrated ever since the days of Samuel. Um, and then at 39, he reigned for 31 years. At 39, he was killed in battle against Pharaoh Necho. Now, many think that they will begin serving the Lord when they get older. 39 might sound old to some of you, but to most of us, that doesn't sound very old because it's not, okay? But to those of you that are in elementary school, uh, maybe even younger, in high school, I think the high schoolers are, have their separate service tonight, but let me say that you are not too young, and it stands to reason then you're not too old to make a difference. And from Josiah, we learn it does not matter whether your parents or your grandparents are faithful servants of God or not. It's great if you have parents that love the Lord, but you don't have to have that to be a light. It doesn't matter if you live in a nation dominated by darkness and sliding toward destruction. If you seek the Lord, there is no telling what He can do through you. And I think this is the overall message of Josiah's life. In 2 Chronicles 34, and his story is told, 2 Chronicles 34 and 35, and we also find parallel to it in 2 Kings um, 23 and um, 22 and 23. But in 2 Chronicles 34, 1 through 7, we're introduced to this young man. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, not like Ammon, his father, not like Manasseh, his grandfather. He went all the way back to walking, living his daily life like David did. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so that would be when he's 16, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year of his reign... So that would make him 20. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals. That was the god of fertility, the god of storm, the god that they believed helped them have good harvest. They chopped down the altars of Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. He broke in pieces the Asherim, these are the, the like, kind of like totem poles that were used in worship, and the carved and metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Like, he, like, totally obliterated these things. He didn't set them up in his museum. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he didn't stop with just the southern tribe where he reigned. He went up into Israel as well, in the cities of Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali. So we're, we're talking all the way up into the region where Jesus would eventually um, uh, minister along Galilee and in that area. In their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now, 2 Kings 23 tells us some of uh, those exploits and talks about uh, what he did. And it's really significant because 
It says, verse 15, moreover, the altar at Bethel, remember Bethel was where right when the ten tribes have split off from the southern tribes, the southern two tribes, uh, Jeroboam didn't want people to go back down to Jerusalem, so he built an alternative worship site where they would worship the golden calf at Bethel. Okay? So the altar at Bethel had been there ever since the very first kings of the, of the northern kingdom, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. So those are the poles. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. The man of God who predicted these things had actually been alive this hundreds of years earlier in the days of Jeroboam, and it predicted that this would happen. We're going to read that text in a moment. Then he said, what is that monument I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. That was the old prophet who actually lied to this younger prophet. Um, but this is the story of that prophet uh, actually pronouncing doom on this altar. We read about it all the way back into 1 Kings. We're in 2 Kings toward the end of it. We're going all the way back to 1 Kings and chapter 13, behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, he's still hundreds of years in the future, he shall sacrifice on you the priest of the high places who make offerings on you and human bones shall be burned on you. Do you think King Jeroboam liked that? What do you think? No, not at all. In fact, he was so angry, he, he stretched out his hand and, and demanded that they um, arrest this prophet uh, to deal with him. And while he held out his hand, his arm shriveled. And, and, and what had also happened is that the altar broke in two and the ashes poured out. Like, this was judgment from God. Well, the man prayed for him that his arm would be restored, and it was. And uh, this prophecy finally was fulfilled in the days of Josiah. You know, God is Lord of history. He's the Ancient of Days. He, he knows who the players are going to be. He knows who is, is going to be a light. He knows who is going to make a difference. And he knew that Josiah would be this man. Well, at age 26, Josiah, according to our record, began repair of the temple of Yahweh. He also renewed the covenant with Yahweh, and he celebrated the Passover. We read about his repair of the temple in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, so 18 plus 8, 26, when he had cleansed the land of the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the son of the, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, 
the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. And in the process of cleaning and repairing the temple, Hilkiah the high priest found a copy of the book of the law of Moses. You know, we have the Word of God so accessible to us, sometimes we forget how valuable it is. And particularly in a day where there are no printing presses, people have to copy it by hand. Now, not everybody had a full copy. Now, you might have portions of it copied down, but you didn't have a full copy. You know, it's said in the days of Tyndale, when the Word of God was being translated into English for people, that that as, as the, the Roman Catholic Church tried to shut down any access to the Word of God in English, uh, they, and they had the power to do this, and, and King Henry uh, Eighth actually was still in, in league with all of this, that a person that was found with just one page of Tyndale's translation could be executed, could be burned alive, okay? People valued the Word of God greatly, uh, they protected it. They were willing to die for it. And uh, we have it so easily accessible. There are places in the world today that it's difficult to get a copy. And sometimes God will, will even direct them through a dream to find somebody who has um, the Word of God. Well, verse 19, <coughs> when he read what that book of the law said, he heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. I mean, he was really upset because he realized what trouble they were in for violating what God had said, and he, he saw, pronounced the curses that were supposed to come on him. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhath, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. Interesting, they want you to make sure that you understand this is a historical person. This is real history. And spoke to her to that effect. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out in this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. So here's the picture. The judgment was coming on this nation, and there was no way to avert it. 
By this time, uh, we're going to be learning about Jeremiah the prophet. By this time, God is even saying, even, even if you had Daniel praying to me, even if you had Samuel praying to me, I would not turn back the disaster that's going to come. So the judgment is going to come. But because Josiah humbled himself and led the way he did, that judgment was postponed a little bit longer. Judah lasted longer than the northern tribes. Now, we live in a land, we live in a country that in many ways has turned against the Lord. There's all kinds of reasons for judgment to fall on our land. We've been exposed to the word of God, and yet it's been attacked in all kinds of ways. And yet the, the difference that can be made by those who will humble themselves before the Lord is profound. Judgment is coming. In fact, judgment is coming on the whole world. But, but those that repent and believe and those that shine as light can actually postpone that judgment. Then we see the renewal of the covenant with Yahweh in verse 29 of chapter 34. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, and all the people, both great and small. So he's not keeping what he found in the book just to himself. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And so Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now there's a lot of debate of just about how deep this turning was. But the reality was as long as Josiah was on the scene, there was this uh, emphasis, this influence for good, and it made a difference in his generation. He also, that same year, 26 years old, celebrated the Passover. We read in 2 Chronicles 35, verse 16, so all the service of the Lord was prepared. You realize I'm just giving you sampling. They're, the story's longer. I'm, I'm dropping in. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah and the people of Israel who were present. So not just Judah, but Israel and north who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah. This Passover was kept. So here's a guy who turns to the Lord at age 16 and within 10 years he has accomplished all this. He has made this kind of difference. Well, it wasn't many years later, at age 39, he was killed in battle against Pharaoh Necho. We read about it in 2 Chronicles 35. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, 
king of, I think I misspelled Nico. I misspelled, I'll take the H out of there. Um, Nico, king of, of Egypt, went, about, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you this day, but against the house of which I'm at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. See, supposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Now, you know, to be fair to Josiah, I don't know if Pharaoh uh, is the kind of guy I would trust when he says he's talked to God. Like, which God are you talking about? But uh, nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. The end of history, Armageddon is on the same plain. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I'm badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot, carried him in his second chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. In fact, it's prophesied that when Israel finally turns back to the Lord, there will be weeping like there was on the day that Josiah died. Be a national mourning before the Lord in turning back to him. So what I'd like to do is just to wrap this up with just an overview of his life. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, um, you know, of the song with uh, Princess Diana, A Candle in the Wind. This is really, Josiah's like a candle in the wind. He, he's young when he's taken, um, but he made a difference while he was alive. At, at age 80, he came to the throne. God puts us in our place of service and opportunity to do good or bad. You are where you are, for the most part, not because of your choice, but because of God's. What are you going to do with it? At age 16, he began to seek Yahweh. Your heart's desire sets the direction of your life. Seek the Lord, and he will use you for good. You know, so often we think about, about our life as, as do's and don'ts and you know, getting through school and doing all these things, ultimately what will set the trajectory of your life more than anything else is where the affection of your heart is. You, you can cover it over. You can whitewash it with Christian school education. You can be in a, a what we call, you know, full-time Christian occupation. You ought to be a full-time Christian, so whatever you're doing ought to be for the Lord. But, but you know, you, you can whitewash it in lots of ways. You can go along, but where is your heart? Because that's going to set the trajectory of your life. At age 20, he purged idolatry from the land. So if you want to make a real difference, get rid of whatever replaces and dishonors God. You know, start in your own life. You know, it's really easy to be critical of other people. But, but clean up your own life. Don't just leave that stuff there. If you know it's wrong, if you know it's taking you away from God, if you know it's replacing God, then, then get rid of it. I mean, like, 
you know, this happens like in high school and college and beyond where we, we start to, ha we have an attraction with somebody who we realize doesn't really love the Lord, is not really serving the Lord, but, but we've got this emotional attachment. We think we're in love and we say, well, you know, we'll work it out somehow. No. If the person doesn't love the Lord, it, it's, it's like an idol in your life. And so sometimes it's painful to get rid of the idols. But, but if you want to make a real difference, get rid of whatever replaces and dishonors God. At age 26, still very young, he began repair of the temple of Yahweh. So do what you need to do to make worship a priority. You know, we worship together on the Lord's Day. Not on the Old Testament Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. It means day of ceasing, so you could, you could cease on any day of the week. But we don't meet on Saturday. We meet on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And believers ever since then have been worshiping on the first day of the week, celebrating the resurrected life of Jesus. Now, if... If you want your life to count, where should you be on the Lord's day? You should be worshiping. You should be reviving your soul. Now, I'm going to go to meddling here, okay? Because I've got the parent group. Soccer is not as important as serving God. It's not. It's amazing to me that in a town like Greenville, Soccer can take over Sunday and be scheduled head-to-head -head with, with worship. And I know it's hard. I mean, I reared boys, and we, we had this conversation because they wanted to play, and they wanted to play seriously. Like, one of them, you know, even looking at maybe professional at some point. So they, they wanted to get the, you know, wanted the, to be looked at for, you know, getting scholarships and that kind of thing. But look. The Lord's day is the Lord's day. And, and don't let other things take the place of it. Make worship a priority. And obviously, worship doesn't just happen on the Lord's day. It ought to happen all week long. But, you know, you say, well, you know, I'll worship on other days. Well, it just so happens that God's people are gathering together on this day. So show up. And I'm glad you're here. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on, on the Lord's day evening. Okay, you're here on the Lord's Day evening, and I hope that it'll always be a priority for you, that, that this is more important to you than the other things you might replace it with. And then he renewed, at age 26 as well, he renewed covenant with Yahweh, commit yourself to ongoing repentance from sin and loyal faith in God. Um, you know, sometimes we look back to the time we prayed a prayer or we made a decision and we kind of rock along and float along from then. But, but this covenant renewal was saying, look, kind of till death do us part, we're committed to this. Till death do us part, I'm going to keep repenting of the sin that I realize you know, shows up in my life. I'm going to confess it, repent of it. Till death do us part, I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I'm going to I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live in faith to him. And then he celebrated the Passover. And the Passover is all about redemption. So rejoice in the redemption the Lord has provided to rescue you from slavery 
and to make you his own. Never get over what God has done to rescue you. No, you, you might have come to faith when you were very young. I came to faith when I was four years old. But I don't ever want to get over the fact that God rescued me. God rescued me, and he keeps rescuing me. He keeps, he's, he's been my savior ever since, and, and my king ever since. And I want to rejoice in that, that God has rescued me. And then, of course, at age 39, Josiah was killed in battle against Pharaoh Necho without the age. Remember that your time to serve the Lord is brief, so get started right away. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. And we have some in our congregation that are in their 70s and 80s and 90s. Some will make it even into their hundreds, and they will tell you they will tell you how brief life still seems. It's amazing to me how short life seems. The, the older I get, the faster it goes. So if you're going to serve God, the time to do it is now. You have no guarantee you're going to make it out of your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your 60s. Do it now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to serve God um, you know, you would hope that a guy like Josiah would live to be 139, but he didn't. 39 years old. You know, there, there are key people in the history of our, and I think of Samuel Davies. He died at 39. Okay? Charles Spurgeon died at 57. Uh, a lot of, of men that, um, same I think with Jonathan Edwards, a lot of, of men and women that made significant impact on the world died when they were still young. Um, Francis Havergal, like, wasn't it 42? Something like that. Um, you don't know how long you have, so use today. And we learned that from Josiah. Well, I hope this overview of his life will remind you to use your life well. Don't fret about the darkness. Oppose it. But oppose it by turning on a light. Let your light shine. Let's pray. <coughs> God, Thank you for your word and the encouragement of it. Help us live in line with it for your glory and help us do it now. In Christ's name.